0: Three, two, 1. Game over. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to Game Over Montreal. We're covering a rare win, but apparently not that rare against the Detroit Red Wings. That's the one team the Canadiens seem to have their number so far this season. I've got two awesome guests with me today: uh, Prasanth Iyer and. Gus Katsaros, so let's welcome him in right now. How's it going, guys? I'm doing well. Gus, you're right over there. I Thank think you I froze a little. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> you. You yeah, so that was uh, probably the canadian's first I'm good. like complete game so far this season. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I mean, that that uh, that was pretty impressive uh, from the Canadians, although I'll say in seeing them twice, uh, it's looked impressive both times. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it helps when uh, Larkin and Bertuzzi aren't in the lineup, right? That uh, definitely is a nice tip to their cap. Not that the Canadians are free of injuries or free of missing players. They've got their own issues, but uh, it helps to not have two of the best Red Wings in the lineup for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Larkin and Bertuzzi have been off to ridiculous starts so far. So, you know, to take Bertuzzi out by his choice and to take Larkin out for personal reasons, uh, you basically get left with a, a team that's even worse than the 19-20 rookie. So, uh, pretty pretty good stuff for Montreal to find their groove against.
0: Yeah, I was, I was kind well, of shocked at uh, how well they played tonight, honestly, just because they haven't done that at all this year like their first game against Detroit they played well but it was kind of just like feeding on the energy of getting some goals going this one I thought that they were jumping on every loose puck uh winning every 50 50 battle and it didn't end when they got a lead they just kind of closed it out in the third period as well yeah
1: tactically Gus what did you see in the third because that was some of the best lockdown defense I've seen in quite some time
2: There was a couple of things that I thought I could have spotted. One was they didn't necessarily turtle. I mean, from Montreal's perspective, I thought that um, taking that kind of style that they were playing in the playoffs and and trying to adapt it this year, that hasn't really been working. So they were much more aggressive. So you take Larkin out, you take Bertuzzi out, you – give your star players the ability to kind of work with uh, whatever they got. You give them a nice two goal cushion and they can kind of take a few more chances. So the lesson here should be in the third period, you took advantage of an unfortunate Detroit team, but you showed that you're not just going to turtle when you get a lead, you press and keep pressing and keep pressing. And that's really the only way to sustain um, good habits that should bring you success over the future.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong here, Gus, but is there perhaps a lesson there for the Montreal Canadiens instead of doubling down on the stuff that worked in the playoffs?
2: (laughs) Well, personally, I think the fact that um, there's a bunch of, different situations that have kind of happened for Montreal from the playoffs, right off the bat, you take carry price out of the equation. You can't play the same style as good as you think your goaltending might be. You're not going to get that typical carry price goaltending. So you have to make some kind of alterations. The only way that you can do that is to open up up front. You can't play a, a tight defensive game at the same time. There's no Edmondson. There's no Shea Weber. There's a whole bunch of other factors um, that have come into play a big roster turnover. Um, so they've had to open it up a bit. And that opening up is what we kind of saw tonight. We saw it at its best. Now we kind of seen Montreal trying to implement something like that over the course of the season, but they've come up against st- uh, heavier competition. Um, they just weren't clicking. We've seen individual players struggle. Cole Caulfield finally gets assigned to uh, Laval. And now all of a sudden things start to click and players are understand we need to do better. And, Tonight's effort is the first step in acknowledging that they can do better. And now it's just a matter of kind of stepping on that and and kind of trying to build something.
0: Yeah, that's been kind of a big issue throughout this season and not just at a macro level like game to game, but in terms of just shift to shift, building on good habits and uh, things that give you success. They just haven't been able to do that for the most part. It's just been a struggle to really... I, I want to say for lack of a better term, gain momentum, right? Uh, shift to shift, period to period, game to game. Even like scoring a goal half the time, like what I've been kind of pushing to start the, the show this year was like the first goal of the season, Jonathan Drouin, right? Jonathan Druin just came back from this huge ordeal with insomnia and anxiety. You'd think that when that happens, the whole team is just going to be buzzing, right? And it was just like really flat. So it's kind of been that whole way this whole season. So I think the biggest challenge is to see what happens next game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Montreal really set the tone from the very first shift. I mean, I think they spent the first two and a half minutes in the Red Wings zone. I think the the Canadians were on the board before the puck left the Red Wings defensive zone. It was, you know, that level of impressiveness. And then, you know, like you said, it was sustained all the way throughout the game to, you hit the third period where, you know, from a score effect standpoint, you should be expecting the Red Wings to be putting up the pressure. They got eight shot attempts in the in the third period. Eight. Like that is that is suffocating defense. I thought, I mean, they were having difficulty just crossing the the, the center line there. So I thought it was a really sort of start to finish, really impressive defensive performance, you know, from the Canadians. And Gus, like you said, they they really picked their spots. Able to get in behind the wings defense, you know, the Suzuki line was tremendous. I think a lot of good habits if you're a Habs fan, you know, to be excited about from this game, uh, you know, about things for them
0: to take forward. And I'm right, glad but you went there. Are things oh, go, go ahead, Gus. Go ahead.
2: There are things about Detroit, though, that it should that also came through too. We see continued sustained play out of Lucas Raymond. Um, the non-factors, that Larkin and Bertuzzi being out of the lineup. You saw some other players kind of step up. I thought that Robbie Fabry, even though he didn't really get any points, kind of looked more like the St. Louis Blues playoffs Robbie Fabry than the non-playoffs Robbie Fabry. So there's individual points there that I think that they can build on. Mitchell Stevens had a... uh, um, Pretty good game. Uh, Michael Rasmussen, other than the first goal with Suzuki, I think uh, uh, there are all these individual little points. Joe Valeno, Valeno continues, continues to impress based on where he is as far as the puck. Uh, sorry, in, in combination to where the puck is. suit to the same thing. So, And you can't kind of rave enough about more insiders. So uh, there's individual Detroit points, I think, that shouldn't really be left out of the storyline.
1: Yeah, I mean there wasn't a lot there to be excited about, but definitely the two rookies still stand out.
0: Yeah, I mean Cider was again, like every moment that I've watched him this season, the he's been incredible. Like he just seems to have no no hesitation in his game. For lack of a better explanation, he just knows what to do at all times and he's making smart plays constantly even I think, was it Murray Sider when the net was empty that kind of passed back through a Canadian's four checker?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's more than he's, he's sort of demonstrated that all season long that he's got the confidence to make the plays and, you know, there's going to be mistakes made, uh, you know, in his previous game, he threw a kind of blind backhand pass across the, uh, across the offensive zone blue line on the yeah. power play and that led to a shorthanded breakaway against and, you know, you're going to see those moments here because he's always trying to force the play and, and make things happen. But, yeah, I mean, he's the confidence is through the roof for this kid. Yeah,
0: you, you can see that every shift. And speaking of confidence, I wanted to ask you, Gus, because we, we talked about the Suzuki line was strong and I or, or Prashanth uh, brought that up. But uh, how important is it that Nick Suzuki seems to finally be looking like Nick Suzuki?
2: Well, uh, you kind of give Suzuki the ability to kind of jump in the lineup because he's defensively mature and and he plays a pretty structured game. But you got to get the monkey off your back at some point in time. All of the good habits that he may have, like I, I don't, I don't want to dump on him. I don't think that he's had a great start, but I don't think that he's been abysmal. Um, and in the limited views that I've kind of had, I thought that he's built on certain things that he was really good at in the playoffs. I just don't think it's into the, oh, sorry, the the individual players that are all at fault here. So getting the monkey off his back, that's the first thing. Two, putting the puck in the net the way that he did, like a skilled play while the puck is still in the air. You know what I mean? A good second effort where he goes right to the net. Um, those are the things that you want to see him kind of build on. And I think that just the fact that he's able to kind of build on um, um, some positive rather than Learning moments or teaching moments um, is kind of the key to what they're going to do. They're going to go into the video room tomorrow and they're going to say, this is what uh, what you did well, keep doing this. If every player keeps doing the best that they can do their best and bring their best qualities out, Montreal will have a much better overall effort and overall team.
0: Yeah, it's 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 a huge thing to actually have some positives to talk about because it's just it hasn't been that kind of season for the Canadians. even in the games that they've won. Like, I think the first Detroit game they played relatively well through two periods. And the third period was they kind of let off the gas a little bit. And the game against the San Jose Sharks that they won, uh, they did not play well. (laughs) They they got some fortunate goal scoring. and Jake Allen was an absolute wall. So this is the first game where it seems like things are starting to work together. And what I saw with Suzuki was, and it's kind of he been was, trending, kind of this, been way been trending now, this way for a few games now is okay. that he's starting to is make plays without thinking about it. about it. Right. Where a lot of times mm-hmm. during the season, he would get the puck in the slot and there'd be this, like, what am I, this, what like, am I doing? How do yeah, I have the puck here? Like, why do I have so much time and space? And then he would just like kind of shovel it towards the net. And now he's actually driving the net with speed, making quick decisions and, and, Whenever he's defending, like he's always been a really good defensive player, but now you can see like his body position is on the right side of the puck almost all the time. He's got a good stick position on four checkers. He's exiting the zone efficiently, like just the zone exits as a team. I thought were the best they've done all season long.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially his line in particular, I thought was outstanding at, at exiting the zone cleanly with possession and then, mm-hmm. you know, avoiding the key mistakes at the uh, opposing blue line. They were avoiding those turnovers there, sustaining that pressure in the offensive zone. I mean, that line was dynamic. I mean, I thought both him and Josh Anderson were terrific. The Anderson's another guy who's playing with a tremendous amount of confidence. I mean, you see him in the third period trying to pull the uh, between the legs move, uh you know, to to uh-huh. to blow by a defender. I think you're just seeing all of that there in that transition game, I thought was really the the, the start of it for him. And that line really drove the engine. And I, I mean, it was quite an impressive performance, even though, like I said, Canadians, the record doesn't look great, but every time I see them, they look fantastic. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Got a, a very, very biased view. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're the
1: best team in the league from my standpoint. They put up nine <laughs> goals against Detroit, all out one.
0: <laughs> it's kind of like the bizarro season from a couple years ago, where the Canadians were like relatively decent, but every time they saw Detroit, they just got pounded. And you look at Detroit's record, and it's like they have only wins against the Montreal Canadiens. So it's just flipped the script <laughs> a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean twenty percent of their wins in the nineteen twenty season were against the Canadians. That year. So it just, <laughs> it's one of the most bizarro sort of situations. And I think, if I remember the history, right, the Canadians had won eight in a row against Detroit prior to that. So I don't really know what we're doing with this uh, the season series here, but it seems to flip-flop quite uh, aggressively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a couple questions in the YouTube comments about Jonathan Durant. Uh, apparently Eric Engels, uh tweeted out that he was back at the bell center, according to Josh Anderson, by the end of the game. So that's good news. Scary little situation uh, where he got hit in the face with the puck. It looked like it hit his visor to me on the replay. So initially when he ran off, I was like, did he just like get scared? Because like the big, you know, like the noise that happens and it probably still hurts like hell because guys in the NHL shoot really hard. I was shocked actually that he went to the hospital, but I'm glad that he's back and and things are looking well because I think across the league, I would say most fans do not like the Montreal Canadiens, but I haven't seen a single person this year who isn't rooting for Jonathan Durant. I
1: think you have to be after everything he went through last year and sort of how open he was with the public about sort of his struggles and and, and what he's done to be able to come back. And then not only come back, you know, scores in his first game and has been, uh, you know, I think he's been really, really good. In fact, in the last game against he was, I thought, Montreal's best offensive player for the majority of that game. So he's absolutely you know, Regardless of whether or not you're a fan of the Canadians, I think you've got to be a fan of how Duran has been open and honest with who he is um, to the public far more than really anyone expects him to be or, or asks him to be and has been a tremendous person to come back from all of that and, and, and be able to perform at a top level again.
2: You always want to kind of see the story, right? You want that feel-good story of this player that faced the adversity and is broken right through it. So Duran doesn't have to score eighty points this year. He doesn't have to score twenty goals. He just needs to become a regular hockey player, I think, um, and that would satisfy a lot of people. It's okay. He's on the right track to kind of the healing process, and he's on the right track to becoming a regular human being once again. It's it's tough, mental health and all and all the peripheral items that you are just from a normal perspective is difficult enough. Imagine being in the spotlight and then imagine being in the Montreal Canadian spotlight. So the good for him, we kind of hope to see the same kind of ascension.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully he's back in the lineup soon. I know that Prashant, you mentioned that uh, the lockdown situation that the Canadians had and that the Red Wings only managed eight shot attempts in the third period. I'm just looking now and four of those were with the empty net, I believe. So (laughs) the the shot attempts in the third period at five on five were 16 to four in the Canadians' favor, which, yeah, that's, that's kind of what you want. Like, I feel like if you're coaching, unless you're hyper risk averse, that's gotta be what you push for, right? It's like that kind of closeout. Just don't like let up off the throat, always like push them to the very edge because the way that a lot of coaches push things in the NHL, and I understand the, like, conservative nature of the game right and you don't want to take a risk that ends up in the back of your net especially when you're leading especially if it's by one goal but to see that kind of play i think despite the fact that this is two teams that aren't expected to make the playoffs two teams that are down a lot of their best players i think that that's kind of something that a lot of teams can look at and say this is how you should play you know what i mean
1: yeah, I mean, I think, Gus, you can uh, you know, definitely correct me if you saw something different here. But what I saw was, I think a lot of times when teams go back into these prevent defenses when they have the lead and they're sort of protecting their lead, they're, they're almost willing to surrender their own blue line, but work on forcing their shot attempts to be on the perimeter. And what I thought the, the Canadians did a tremendous job of was, they said, no, we're not going to surrender our blue line. In fact, we're going to absolutely clog up this neutral And I thought Detroit probably crossed center ice with possession maybe three times in the third period until they pulled the goalie. And I thought by the Canadians sort of taking the fight from inside their own zone and out to the center line, they made it that much more difficult for Detroit to be able to move the puck in without arguably their best transition player in Dylan Larkin, a guy who's able to carve up neutral zone defense. that That was suffocating because if you look at, you remove Larkin from the equation and obviously no Tyler Bertuzzi. There's not a lot of team speed on the Red Wings. And and so the the, the Canadians were very much able to, to clamp down in the neutral zone and really make Jay Allen have an easy night.
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. You move the point of attack outside of your defensive zone and you just gain. It's that space cushion, right? You just want to keep them as far away from your net as possible. Um, and even when they did penetrate, uh, kind of like prevent his death, right? You don't want to go into a prevent defense because now you've given the entire realm of momentum to your opponent. So when Montreal did kind of face a little bit of those prevent moments, because there were still a few in the third period, um, the good thing about it was they kept everything to the outside. Even when you kind of look at the shot maps on natural Statric, you kind of see um, the progression of shots coming from very in deep and very off to the side. So Montreal did a good enough job defensively to keep everybody out. And then when they did get that puck back, they were out of that zone really, really fast. There was no dilly-dallying. There was no resetting. And they just made sure to get the puck into the neutral zone. And then we can do that sustained attack that Andrew was discussing um, and just try to keep the momentum going. You keep your foot on the gas pedal as much as you possibly can. You won't have to worry about pucks being in your own defensive zone.
0: It's funny that you mentioned that, Gus, the, the like resetting and trying to get things going again. Because the one time that I thought Detroit really got a bit of momentum going in this game was there was a play in the Canadian zone where Josh Anderson had a chance to clear the puck or make a pass, and he he reversed it back behind the net and like skated it back there and passed to a defenseman. And I'm, I can't remember which Canadian's defenseman it was. It might have been David Savard, might have been Ben Sherratt, but they just kind of iced it down and it ended up I believe in the first penalty to the Canadians that uh, ended up in a five on three a few moments later so like that idea of like sometimes it's safer to just reset and go back into your own zone and find a better lane out it doesn't always seem to be the case sometimes it's just quick ups you know like get things going figure it out once you're in the neutral zone
1: I mean, it's that right balance of north-south versus east-west hockey. And, you know, you'll have the people who say if you go north-south too much, then you're not necessarily focusing on possession. You don't really get to create some of those creative chances that come with east-west hockey players. But at the same time, if you're if you're not moving the puck north-south, then you can get stuck in, in playing those bad back cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought Detroit was very guilty of that a lot this game. Uh, you know, you pointed out the one Montreal instance. I thought there were about 10 – 10 different Detroit instances where they decided to turn it back in their own zone. And then that allowed the Montreal forecheck to get on them and really force those turnovers. I mean, you look at that first shift, um, really the first couple of shifts before uh, Montreal scored on the Suzuki goal, where, I mean, that, that was, that was it. There were three or four times Detroit tried to turn it back when they could have gone North Mm -hmm. South. And so I think that's, that's a really key aspect is finding that right balance of when to be North South, when to be East West. I thought today was a really good balance of that for the Canadians.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really. And I, bet du charm,
2: and I bet the charm is probably pointing at that through video and saying, guys, look at what we're doing here. We're trying to be fancy and we're, we're giving the opportunity for the opposition to set up. And now we have to fight through their defense. If you have a quick up, we control, we dictate, we get the puck out of our own zone. We create more offensively and, uh, I know that this isn't a conversation about the Leafs, but you could tell when the Leafs are struggling, all they really try to do is reset and then try to skill their way into scoring goals. And that's really not the proper way to do things. Um, so those are the, 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 the building blocks that I think Ducharme is going to try to implement on a more consistent basis going forward.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I got, there's a couple comments in here, actually, they are saying, uh, asking about the Boston Bruins. And I'm, I would get killed on this show if I talk too much about the Boston Bruins, but I am going to say one thing positive about the Boston Bruins. And that was uh, specifically, and we're not going to get into the details of the case. so There's no reason for anybody to get bummed out about the whole Blackhawks situation. But uh, I saw that uh, Patrice Bergeron and spe- specifically, and uh, Bruce Cassidy, the head coach of the Boston Bruins made a point of making sure that all the Boston Bruins together, watched the interview with Kyle beach on TSN. And I thought like that's leadership to have that out front and i believe it was brandon carlo talked to the media today about how like part of the responsibility of being in the nhl is making sure that uh no, this never happens again and it, and it's on everybody
1: yeah i thought the bruins response was fantastic with that uh you know information coming out and you you hit it exactly on the head there andrew that's that's leadership that's your captain and your head coach saying we're going to be you know there together as a team to view this understand this digest this process this as a team and and sort of be a part of the solution moving forward.
2: I wonder if Bergeron was part of the times when hazing was a little bit more prominent too, and he probably remembers a lot of that. Um, and the players that are coming into the league now are more in their early 20s and I'm in my early fifties. I've heard horror stories of players in the past and they can't be that far into the past. So it's nice for him to take the reins and say, you know what, as veterans, as older veterans and older people, we need to take responsibility for these younger men. Let's do that together. It's a great idea.
1: Yeah. I don't know if he's still public enemy number one, uh, but Zidane O'Chara <laughs> really set the set the stage for that in Boston. And then I think Bergeron has really upheld it from there. And so, uh, kudos to both those guys for really setting the, the tone for the organization in Boston.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine if Zdeno Chara said there's not going to be any hazing, that there'd be many people who'd challenge that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: you know, you're know, you six foot nine with a seven foot stick. Uh, no one's really going to challenge that.
0: <laughs> no, there's, there's a few guys around the NHL where you, you see their listed height and you meet them and you're like, hmm, and then you meet Chara and you're like, I think you're bigger. I think you're bigger than that. <laughs> I think the only guy that will pick a fight with him is Brendan Smith,
1: if anyone remembers that playoff game where he tried to fight Chara and uh, that didn't go so well.
2: <laughs> I do. I do. The early in his One of the funniest of moments McCabe. I've ever had to win. Yeah. 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 The yeah. ragdoll thing. Yeah. Yep. One of the funniest moments I've ever had was watching Zdeno Chara walk by as Jason Blake was standing next to him. And you could see he's like two Jason Blakes. <laughs> and he's literally two Jason Blakes. <laughs> and you could say, hey, Jason. Oh, hi, Zdeno. <laughs> Shows you the big size, you know? Yeah.
0: He just—he looks hmm. like he's from another sport, you know? He's just so <laughs> large, such a big man. But uh, yeah, so we'll move, we'll move on for the from the Bruins before we get killed here. But uh, yeah, yes, so, uh, speaking of the Canadians, I guess let's talk about the Red Wings a little bit because I you can't learn too much from one game, right? Like you can't make too many judgments. And I think that as much as this was a good game for the Canadians, not having Dylan Larkin there really does reduce the team speed, as you mentioned, uh, of the Red Wings. I thought that they did look relatively slow all game. So I'm going to have to say as much as we have to give credit to the Canadians here, it looked like a pretty off game for most of the Red Wings players as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot of struggles from the Red Wings players. I think Uh, you have to give the credit to the Canadians defense, like I said, because a large part of Detroit's game has been, you know, really short passes to exit their zone um, and then using sort of Larkin speed or some of their different play driver speeds to beat the defense that's set up and sort of get up ice. And I thought, with no and no Bertuzzi, the, the Canadiens forecheck was all over that. And I think that really forced a lot of the Red Wings guys into bad nights. I thought this was probably Lucas Raymond's worst game at five on five this season. You know, I think uh, that that top line with him, Michael Rasmussen and, and Robbie Fabry was not dangerous whatsoever. Um, outside of a couple of chances by Raymond in the period. Um, I thought they really struggled to, to get the game going in that that really had been Detroit's bread and butter. Their top line of Bertuzzi, Larkin, and Raymond has had been arguably dominant, one of the top five, top ten lines uh, in hockey in the early season here. And so, taking two of those guys out, you know, really impacted them. And then that there was a trickle down there because now your your second line, you're moving up Adam Ernie onto that second line where Robbie Fabry's supposed to be, and and Suter hasn't really got his game going yet, and Phillip Zadina sort of struggled to to get his game going at five on five, and there was just. All in all, it, it, a lot of the problems stemmed from what Montreal did, but at the same time, this was a pretty poor for performance from a lot of key Red Wings players.
0: Yeah, you could definitely see that just based on how easily the Canadians were able to dictate play, and the fact that that's the first time they've really been able to do that this season. Not, to, I don't want to like poo-poo all over a great performance. I really don't. I think that the Canadiens fans need to have that positive Uh, performance this year and hear some good things about the team because it's just been a rough ride but let's do a bit of a hard right turn here because as much as it's fun to talk about a win and look at the the game that was played and look at like building blocks that they can look at going forward here you still have to look at this team and say what's the goal for this season right and with uh, Brennan Gallagher leaving the game for a stretch here and then he came back, and Jonathan Drouin going to the hospital, people were like, oh, well, Cole Caulfield is coming back up then, right? <laughs> and in a weird way, I think the Canadians being bad so far this season is a big advantage at this moment because they don't have to call up Cole Caulfield. There isn't really that much pressure to win right now, right? Not that I'm saying that they should treat it as a tanking season right now because it's still pretty early and, you know, Carey Price could come back and ruin a tank anyway if he's healthy and mentally engaged. But it kind of works out, right, that Cole Caulfield isn't going to have to come back up and fill in for any injuries, that he can just stay down there and dominate a little bit. I think a little bit of yes and a little bit of no, because
1: as much as, you know, you think about the preseason expectations where you're like, oh, maybe this isn't necessarily a playoff team with – with all of the injuries and obviously not having carry price to start the season. No one in the Atlantic outside of Atlantic, Florida has gotten off of to Florida a start that we think off. is sustainable, right? You know, Buffalo is, is there, but Tampa hasn't looked like themselves. Toronto hasn't looked like themselves. So, you know, Boston is four and three, uh, to, to me, the, the, even though you're three and eight, is, uh, and, and uh, through the first eleven games, you're not necessarily out of it in any way. And if you can mm-hmm. get Kerry Price back and you get a little bit of momentum going, this is still a team that I think that can be competitive. So I think you're stuck because you're you're stuck with a team where maybe the expectation wasn't there, but everybody else in the division got off to a slow start outside of Florida. So there's an opportunity still to be had.
2: Yeah, uh, that's a really great point because everybody collectively sucking eggs makes it better because the competition now is, okay, you've, you blew 10 games at the beginning of the season. Now these other teams that might've not gotten off to a great start, they're now in the picture. Um, and I think that the first evaluation period is probably American Thanksgiving. Um, You kind of see, and I I can't remember what it was exactly, but statistically anybody that's in the playoff race by American Thanksgiving is usually within the race at the end of the season. So if the Habs can just kind of put a few, string a few wins together, get themselves back to a position where they're completely competitive within the division, I think that they can potentially snag a playoff spot. But having said all that, if Cole Caulfield can get some kind of a benefit in Laval, you keep him in Laval because he needs to learn other things above and beyond whatever he's going to learn in Montreal. Ideally, you would have liked Caulfield to really be part of the solution in Montreal, but if the, but if the issue is team-wide with a whole bunch of different players affected, you want to give them the ability to work their issues out. Some don't have the ability to be sent off to the minors to be able to work on those. Caulfield has that as a positive rather than a negative. So I think for that situation, you kind of leave him there Iron out your issues and bring them back whenever we're ready. For the rest of the Habs, you have to build off today. Yeah, they played a, 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 a shorthanded Detroit team, but take what you can from a positive perspective and try to build on something like that. You guys have no idea how disgusting it is that I have to talk about Montreal and Detroit. The two teams <laughs> in my lifetime that have come back and beat the Leafs when the Leafs were up 3-1. to one. So this is a tough, tough game. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, at least one of them lost, right? So <laughs> there's something <laughs> for you. It's a shame they still don't have ties, right? Today would have been yeah. a perfect game. You both stink. Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, How had we- you get that out of the way? <laughs> as far as Caulfield goes, the worst possible thing that could happen is like yo-yoing up and down, right? Like every, every time you see that, it seems to me that a prospect starts to stall out a little bit when there's no consistency in the development path. And, you know, like the Canadians have kind of they didn't yo-yo him too much, but in terms of uh, what they were pushing him to do, there was a lot of yo-yoing in Cook uh, Kokaniemi and his development stalled significantly. And he seems to be doing a little bit better this year in Carolina. But I think at this stage, considering his rookie year, most people still expected a better player by, I think he's going to be tur- turning 21 this year. So I, I feel like with Cole Caulfield taking the more patient approach, make sense. I personally, I still don't think I would have sent him down at this moment because to my eye, he was starting to do some things that you expected him to after a really rough start to the year, but I understand why they did. Yeah.
1: And I mean, it, it's sort of tough because if you look at some of his other uh, draft classmates, a, a guy where he who wasn't sent down was Capo Caco and and through that entire first rookie year, he mm. arguably looked awful and was not sent down, played the full 66 games. And I thought at times was really going to have his confidence submarined. And so I do think you're sort of stuck if you're the Habs where, you know, you look back at what you did with Kakaniami and you say, did we you know rush him a little too much? Did we put a little too much pressure there? Um, you know, at the same time, like you said, Andrew, you got to avoid sort of yo-yoing him to make sure he gets – a consistent message, but I don't think it's the end of the world to do it. I'm just, you know, like you said, maybe a little surprised it happened now, but I, I I think allowing him room to grow, see some success and, and sort of move uh, things in the right direction for his confidence. will get him back up to the NHL quickly.
0: Yeah. I I think for the most part, nobody's really too concerned about Cole Caulfield getting back up into the NHL relatively soon. I I think you just look at his history and like the kid's going to score goals. (laughs) It's, yes, it's not on the same level, but it's the same as like. Was anybody really freaking out that Austin Matthews had one goal coming into tonight? No. no. <laughs> yeah, half a <of> Toronto was <laughs> half a Toronto. Okay. Any, a anybody question. rational? Anybody <laughs> rational? <laughs> <laughs> not you know, man. I don't
1: think so.
0: Caulfield,
2: when he was on the ice, and I'm not saying this is Caulfield's fault, but at five on five, the Habs were averaging two percent shooting percentage. 2%. I mean, how do you compete when like that that alone speaks volumes. I don't have the puck enough, we don't shoot enough, we don't shoot properly enough, we don't create good quality scoring chances. That is a team issue and I think Ducharme has to deal with that caulfield has his own little thing that he needs to deal with and he'll be just fine in laval as long as they kind of don't yo-yo in just as he said um, and give him the opportunity to make mistakes recover do good things make mistakes recover do good things and build off of those good things
0: all right uh all right. probably not going to go too much longer because i think we've covered this game pretty well but before we let before i let you guys go i'm going to put something to to you it's like a bit more of a long-term question how many wins do you think it takes or let, let's say the Canadians get to 500 by christmas which is i think in the nhl and the the way that the parity is in this league considering the schedule they had in october the they only schedule. faced two playoff teams so far this season from last year only two out of their first 11 games how long until it gets how, how long until the pressure on Mark Bergevin comes off a little bit. Do you think it's like getting to 500 by a certain point? Do you think point. they have to just rattle off a couple of wins and things ease up a bit? Or do you think it's the whole season and no matter what happens, the pressure's wrapped, ramped on just ease up for contract renewal?
1: Oh boy, that's a tough one. You know, I think,
0: uh,
1: from a pressure standpoint, you know, some of it's certainly off by obviously some of the injuries that have happened and not having Shea Weber, not having Carey Price to start the season. You know, if Duran ends up missing any sort of time, if Gallagher ends up missing any sort of time, I mean, that guy's a human wrecking ball. I'm sure he's going to end up missing some time at some point here. I think that (laughs) that maybe takes a little bit of the pressure off, but I think if Carey Price comes back, you start to get those pieces in and you're not stringing together wins. You're not pulling yourself back into the race, despite having the rest of your division sort of treading water and not really, you know, moving the needle all that much. And, you know, Tampa obviously losing Kucherov for a long period of time, although that didn't matter last year, um, <laughs> you know, Toronto off to their slow start. Um, I I think if you're not moving the needle after Kerry Price comes back and if he's playing like himself, um, I think that's when the pressure is really going to ramp up. If he does play well and Montreal maybe pulls themselves back into position, but doesn't necessarily make the playoffs. I think maybe the pressure stays off because of the recent Stanley cup, you know, finals run plus, uh, you know, all the injuries that they had to deal with this year.
2: I think on ice, um, I think in the reality on ice, it really doesn't matter. I think there's enough off-ice distractions and issues from Mark Bergevin's perspective that I don't think he's ever really going to feel comfortable this season. No contract. You have a whole bunch of stuff that's still kind of linking him to Chicago. Um, There's just way too much noise for him to be able to concentrate properly on the team. Ducharme, the coaching staff, all the the staff outside of Bergevin – has to be the one running this club. Until Bergevin signs a long-term contract, personally, I think he's just hands-off. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's not doing his job. It's just, what can he really do? Can he build into the future? How do you go to somebody and say, this is my vision of the future when I don't necessarily have a contract to make that kind of stability come into play? Um, If the goal is just to make the playoffs, then Prashant is right. you got to be competitive enough that when Carey Price comes back, just be competitive and be in the playoff picture and hope for the best after that. Other than that, I just think that there's way too many variables on the outside that are just going to focus, going to make Bergevin lose his focus on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, there's also the whole backlash, the draft pick that they made in the summer and how really that relates into the Chicago stuff as well. And the optics of it all. Right. There's yep. a lot going on there. We had one question, one last question here from GB. He was clearly a Leafs fan that said, "Do you really think Montreal advances advances last year if the Leafs have one less injury? Tavares. I mean, obviously, if Tavares is there, it's a different series. But I think you have to account for the fact that that whole series, like Shea Weber, could not handle the puck. Brandon Gallagher could not handle or shoot the puck. You know, Carey Price was coming back from a concussion. Philip Deneau was coming back from a concussion." Thomas Tatar was injured. Like, it's not Tatar like no team, like only one team had injuries, right? Tavares is an amazing player. And he actually, I think he's actually got the Canadians number over the course of his career in Toronto. Like he's a really effective player for that. <laughs> but as soon as we're talking about like, Oh, if it wasn't for this injury, this team would have advanced. I think that you have to look at the injuries to both sides and even players who are playing who aren't hundred percent. I mean, Matthew's with his wrist injury. If Matthew's wrist was fully healed, would he have scored one goal?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I I hate doing that because, for exactly the reasons you said, there's so many injuries on both sides, some that are being played through and some that are not being played through. I mean, you know, you could do this for basically any series that's ever happened in the NHL playoffs and say, oh, what if this happened? I mean, the, my favorite one is the 09 playoffs where, you know, Datsu uh, Stanley Cup finals against Pittsburgh. I mean, Lidstrom missed significant amount of time with a ruptured testicle. Hosa played with a separated shoulder and Datsu played with a significant wrist injury. And it's like, okay, they went to game seven and if all three of those guys are healthy. Maybe they win the cup. Well, you know, you can do this in every single series. And, 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 and that's, that's, uh, that's really the reason why I just don't like to engage in that. Because again, you know, uh, if you have Tavares healthy, great, but if you have all those other guys healthy for Montreal, it doesn't make a difference. I don't really know.
0: Yeah, everything's a what-if, right? So
2: The Leafs, I think, put themselves into their own um, demise by allowing themselves to conform to Montreal's style, and then they get let Montreal dictate games 5, 6, and 7, and that was it. Once Montreal said, okay, this is the style we're playing, and the Leafs decided, no, we're not going to play our own style, we're going to conform and try to break through them and play a perimeter game, they were done. It was and done. Let, and let's not so forget, it had like, nothing that, to do with just injury. And let,
0: and let's yeah, let's not forget Go also ahead. that they I'm won done. three straight without Tavares. Right? right? Like Correct. They were capable of doing it. Capable and doing that it. game six, I thought, like, the, the overtime in game six was the best that the Leafs played that entire series. They that just sucks. could not get a puck past Carey Price. And then the first shot the Canadians get was, like, <laughs> just Barry Kokaniemi off the inside of, I think, Dermott skate. And just <laughs> yeah. through the wickets there. And sometimes that's how the playoffs are, you know, one moment can define it. And unfortunately for the Leafs, that's been the case it's for the several, years the case in a row now. several years in a row now. It is what
2: you know, it is. Deal with it. That You have to deal <laughs> yep. with that kind of adversity and you have hope that you never have to deal with it again, but you know, you're going to the playoffs and you have broken players. You deal with that. If you have a broken system, you have to deal with that too. So injuries are never really a big factor.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much, guys. Uh, Before we close the show out, first, Prashanth and then Gus, tell us what you got going on. I know that, Prashanth, you're kind of like semi-retired from the hockey (laughs) (laughs) blogosphere, but uh, if you've got any ideas or anything, share them. Maybe you've got something that you want to do on the down low.
1: I mean, you know, at this point my my existence on Twitter is basically making fun graphs that I think are pretty cool. I'm working on a, a pretty neat one for Ovechkin as he starts to pass some people on milestones. so you might see that for me soon, but yeah, that's really where I get into nowadays is uh, life has gotten a little hectic over here to uh, to keep up with much more than that.
2: Um, For myself, I just do a weekly article on NBC Sports Edge. Um, It's actually coming out tomorrow. And oddly enough, tomorrow's topic is Cole Caulfield.
0: Perfect. (laughs) Definitely check that out, Habs fans.
2: Yeah. And other than that, I'm just kind of – I'm not doing as much scouting as I – I used to, I don't go to games as many as much as I used to. So it's just kind of become more of a support McKeen's crew and, and hope that everybody can do their job. And if I can step in and assist in any way, that's what we'll do.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much guys for doing this with me. It was a lot of fun and I hope to talk to you again.